2: All right. Thanks, guys. We'll pick it up here. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman and Dan Nathan. Tonight on Fast, Bitcoin goes bonkers. The cryptocurrency seemingly unstoppable as it sourced to new record highs. And that means a big payday for some of the payment stocks we will break down that trade straight ahead. Plus, Tesla topping the tape will tell you what on shares into overdrive as it gears up to zoom into the S&P 500. And later, Dan is winding up for a fast pitch Why he says this car stock is driving higher from here. That name uh, straight ahead. But we want to go straight to that breaking news coming from the FDA. Meg Terrell's got the latest. Meg.
0: Hey, Melissa, the FDA just voting uh, an outside committee of advisors in support of the second COVID-19 vaccine uh, from Moderna. This vote was 20 in favor, uh, none against, one abstention uh, from this vote of outside advisors to the FDA. Uh, So the FDA is expected to act quickly to uh, issue this emergency use authorization, perhaps as soon as tomorrow or Saturday. And that would trigger six million doses uh, of Moderna's vaccine going out next week, joining Pfizer and BioNTech's vaccine on the market. Another 2 million of those expected to go out next week. Melissa, this is a big moment. Uh, The more vaccines that get on the the market, the more supply uh, we have, the more healthcare workers and nursing home residents, the people on the front lines of this pandemic will be able to get protected from it. And Mel, a really huge moment for Moderna too. You're not seeing it reflected in the share price so much yet because it's had such a big run this year. But This is the first product for Moderna to get on the market uh, and a brand new technology from both of these companies, Moderna and Pfizer-BioNTech, messenger RNA, which many hope will provide a new technology for vaccines uh, for the future, Mel. So the second positive vote from this FDA committee of outside advisors for Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine. Clearly proof of
2: concept uh, for Moderna, whose entire platform relies on, on this mRNA technology. A big moment for the U.S., as Meg Terrell had mentioned, Guy Adami, we've been through this before but yet this is still a momentous occasion.
3: No, it's fantastic and good for Moderna. I mean, I know we've gone back and forth in terms of the stock, but I think we've been pretty uh, steadfast in terms of the company and what they've achieved and congratulations to all the people behind it. And You know, it's un- interesting, the messenger RNA is this generation's, if remember CAR T therapies that we were talking about five and six years ago with some of the oncology names, so it's, it's great news. In terms of the stock, you know, I thought the run was over $40 ago. I still think it's a little long in the tooth. You've seen what's happened to Pfizer, which peaked at around $43. You know, now that's trading 38. So I think it's for the stock, in my opinion, sell the news event. However, we have said, and I'll continue to say, and Tim, I think spoke of this last night. IBB has been a monster. I think it made an all-time high last night. Had a big day today. Uh, I think you stay with the biotech ETF. That's been working. I think that will continue to work. Yeah, Tim.
4: Yeah, I, I do too. I, again, it's a multi-year breakout in the IBB. You have a number of companies that, that have very strong balance sheets. And a lot of companies that I think have, have you know, positioned their, their pipelines for a fair amount of upside uh, have to agree on Moderna. We had Jeffries on earlier in the week. Uh, I think after a great call and, and being out in front, they put a hold on the stock at a, a 150 target. And again, their, their, their pipeline and their approach to the prophylactic vaccines and the oncology drugs are very, very bullish for this company, uh, I think for the medium term. But in the short term. It's had a tremendous run. But yes, very, very exciting times for our country. And we're going to talk to Steve Leisman about some of the the jobless claims data that is a little bit scary. But, uh, you know, we we have to be looking at this at at, where we're going to be on the other side. And and I think um, there's going to be such pent up demand that that's really what I would choose to look at.
2: Again, the full FDA must still vote on this panel's recommendation for the approval of emergency use authorization for this particular vaccine. Um, but, but Karen, in terms of what we need right here, right now, this is great in, in the longer term. Uh, but for right now, when we see the claims numbers deteriorating, we saw November retail sales deteriorating on top of a revision down in October sales. It may not come soon enough.
5: Well, it might not come soon enough for those people, for sure, right? If they're if you're unemployed and you can't make your rent, even I don't know if you have forbearance or not, or you you know literally don't know where your next meal is coming from. It's not soon enough for the market, though. It is soon enough. I agree with Tim. I think we're just going to be looking through to whenever that other side is. I mean, you know, when we had the shutdown in March and April, we did. We hoped there would be a vaccine. We didn't expect it would be this quick and this effective. Obviously, the market's in a very different place. But I just think we're going to look through to back to some sort of normalcy. So uh, I agree with Tim. I'm optimistic about the market.
2: So, Dan, this must reinforce the reopening trade. And does that then reinforce the notion that the stay-at-home trade should be over?
6: Well, here's the thing, Mel. I mean, the reopening trade is here. The S&P 500 is at all-time highs, and NASDAQ at all-time highs, you know, up... Um, tremendously year over year and a year where earnings growth in the S&P 500 um, collapsed. It's going to be down 15%. So when you think about that, I mean, what is the reopening trade? Back when Karen was talking about March or April, we had very little visibility of what the impact was going to be to the economy, what the long-term scars on the economy were going to be, what the health implications were going to be. Um, You know, at that time, we were thinking that our best bet would be herd immunity at some point in 2021. So yes, we do have the vaccines, but they came at a cost. They came at obviously um, a human cost, and they came at an economic cost, and so the fact that the stock market is at these all-time highs, it's discounting a whole heck of a lot of good news. So when you talk about those claims numbers that we saw two weeks in a row, and you think about what the, uh, the, jo- uh, the unemployment number is going to look like, we know that that is a mirage. We know that the unemployment number is much higher than that 6.7%, and it's going to take much longer to get back those 10 million jobs. You talk about the work from home trade, that work from home trade extinguished jobs going forward, accelerated certain technological um, transformations that were going to happen in the workplace. So, to me, I think our economy is going to be saddled with a lot of problems. Even once we get this vaccine out to our entire population and we've reached herd immunity, I don't think we're out of the woods yet from an economic standpoint. And the market, if it wants to close at the tippy-top highs of 2020, I think there's going to be hell to pay in early 2021 because we just can't get above 4,000 to all these really bullish targets from here. I mean, we just can't. There has to be a sustained pullback at some point.
2: Tim, um, the reopening, I think that's a fair point in terms of the S&P 500 being at a record right now, closing record, uh, and that is the reopening trade. But some traders out there will look at the sort of the higher beta names out there, like the cruise lines, like a Royal Caribbean. That's not at a 52-week high. That's not anywhere near still. Um, So does does this news sort of underscore the notion that these sorts of trades have life in them? Look, I, I, you know, Dan.
4: Dan is right to be concerned about fundamentals matching up with markets. But, and yes, if you look at market sentiment indicators, look at the AAII confidence indicator, bulls over sixty. This is a bearish. I mean, a bullish. Excuse me. Extreme, but. Um, Look at the dollar plumbing new lows almost by the second. Look at the Fed yesterday reinforcing uh, their support for the markets. Look at the dynamics that that I think we have in terms of breadth of the market. How about the banks they're trading still uh, below their their pre-COVID levels? How about a lot of the industrials? And and I think you have uh, a a part of the market that still has a ways to go uh, in addition to some of those growth trends that I I don't think die and were accelerated by COVID. So um, you have to take this all with some sense of Of, of, call it a rational thought process, which I think we've all largely had. Um, Fundamentals don't have to match up to the market here. And and as long as we have those support systems, including some fiscal stimulus around the corner, Mm -hmm. uh, I think early 2021 can actually be okay. All
2: right. Uh, We've got an earnings alert here on FedEx that we do want to get to. The shares are sinking after hours. Let's get to Frank Holland, who's got the details. Frank.
1: Hey there, Melissa. You know, lack of guidance,
4: along with very good, maybe just not being good enough when it comes to margins and e-commerce growth. That's what appears to be moving FedEx lower. Also, possibly investors seeing some very early signs of e-commerce deceleration, but the numbers were great. Beat on the top line, big beat on the bottom line, more than 80 cents above estimates. Let's look at the different segments. Express, that's air delivery with 12% revenue growth and 14% volume growth Operating margin at 9.1 percent. That's over the estimate of 7.3 percent. FedEx gets just about half of its revenues from Express. However, Ground, which handles residential e-commerce and has become a growth driver for this company, that. I
2: think We lost uh, Frank Holland, though, um, but uh, it looks like the residential area was the source of some of the disappointment in the after hours. Karen, you own this stock. So what did you make of the quarter?
5: Well, I, I mean, I like the headline numbers. I tried to look through the queue. I didn't get through it, but it did, I did just look quickly at expenses. They had some higher variable uh, incentive expenses. They had uh, ground, as Frank was talking about, purchase transportation, which is, you know, them sort of outsourcing. That was, that expense was up. So that was a little disappointing. If the stock is down at all on lack of guidance, I think that's ridiculous. I don't think companies should give guidance anyway, particularly in the environment we're in. But I always have thought that. Um, so a little bit of disappointment. But this was not trading at some crazy multiple. So if I don't see anything, I'd like to listen to the conference call, so I'll listen to it later. But if I don't see anything really new, I would be, if, where is it now, 283 maybe, 283? 283, I, would, I would be... I'm, no, I'm sorry. 282. Uh, around there. Yep. I would be a buyer. Yep. 282. Okay. Yeah. I would be a buyer around there.
2: Wall Street has really turned very bullish on this stock. Only very recently, Guy, I mean, if you take a look at the price targets, they've gone up about 50% in just the past three months to an average of 313 bucks. So um, people turning to the stock, I mean, that's part of the reason why, why it's gone uh, up. Up.
3: And also behind the eight ball, for sure. I'll tell you that Karen and Tim were not, though. And, and you know, we, I think at a certain point, we all sort of got on board. And, you know, finally, listen, FedEx was doing a lot of things really poorly for a long time. I think they would admit that. They seemed to figure it out about four or five months ago. Good for them. The concerning thing in this number, listen, I'm just looking at it. And this is what Frank was going to say. The ground numbers were fine in terms of revenue. What was disappointing was the operating came around 7.5%. The street was closer to 9%. I think Karen addressed the reasons why, and I'm with her Lack of guidance shouldn't be a reason to sell the stock off. I would understand, you know, people taking the money and run. But on valuation, although there's no guidance, I don't think it matters. You can still back to the envelope thing and figure out the stock is probably trading half, 15 times next year's numbers, which is cheap compared to UPS and obviously cheap compared to the broader market.
2: Something that, that should help them, too, Tim, is that uh, yesterday they announced that they're extending that seasonal surcharge. Before, it was going to just go through January 17th in terms of the additional charge per package for the various segments. Um, but now it's indefinite. There is no deadline there. It's just going to exist. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I, look, I... I I, I echo these thoughts and, and, and really have to underscore, lack of guidance is, is is not in any way something to be fearful of. They said, uh, despite a difficult environment, on the tape, they said, we expect the second half to be very strong. Um, this is a company that that is basically figured out how to be very profitable in B2C. And guess what's around the corner? B2B's coming back. Um, International FedEx was a big driver here. They have a growth margin inflection. They have uh, a services business that's starting to grow. So um, I you know, I, I'm the stock. I'm not going anywhere. Uh, and I think this is representative of that broader market rally.
2: This is both work from work from home as well as reopening, Dan.
6: Yeah. I mean, listen, these guys have nailed this trade. I will just mention this, though, that this stock topped out in January of 2018 at $275, sold off nearly 70% to its lows this coming March. And, and, and since it's been up and it's made new all-time highs, up 220-some percent, you cannot tell me that an economic um, you know, uh, crisis in a pandemic, is it just fixed all the ills, that whatever investors were thinking of all of 2018, all of 2019, I know that there was obviously some major competitive um, you know, challenges, and specifically Amazon, that sort of thing. I know that they have fixed a lot of things. I know that they've been in a perpetual restructuring. Tim mentioned last week their buy of ShopRunner. I think a really, really interesting buy here. But I'm just saying, so the stock down 3 4% after the run it's had on really good numbers. It makes perfect sense to me. This stock needs to find a place to consolidate a little bit and investors can kind of reorient the story for what it means post-pandemic.
2: Yeah, the conference call gets underway at 5:30 Eastern Time, so we'll keep you posted on any developments there. In the meantime, we mentioned jobless claims before. Jobless claims hitting their highest level since early September. They came in far above expectations, and this obviously comes as the virus worsens nationwide. Let's get to CNBC's senior economics reporter Steve Leisman. Um And Steve, you earlier today called this a claims calamity. Shouldn't we have expected this fully given the rise in the number of cases?
1: Uh, not necessarily, Melissa. It has it's not always been clear that the uh, claims data has followed the coronavirus uh, a surge, but but indeed we can show that it has. Um, you, and maybe maybe you should have expected it. Um, and and maybe uh, you know what's funny, Melissa? I'm not even sure I could talk to you guys anymore. You're my favorite people, Melissa, Karen, uh, you know Dan and Tim and Guy. But but you're, we're talking different languages here, you know. I'm telling you, there's nearly 900,000 people filed for uh, jobless claims last in the last week. You guys buy stocks. 250,000 new cases, uh, average seven day from Johns Hopkins. You guys buy stocks. Uh, 20 million Americans receiving some form of unemployment claims, and and worse than that is is the outlook is terrible for this in the next several months. We're talking about you know uh, Ian Shepherdson forecast. That the number of claims could go back to a million pretty soon. Uh, I've got several economists forecasting uh, job losses for the month of December when the payroll number comes out. That's not for sure, but that's in the month. And none of this matters. And that's okay. I'm not telling you guys how to trade stocks. I don't even get involved in that. I'm just telling you where the economic data is going this month, next month, and for the next several months until we can turn this thing around. And then there's another debate to be had, which is how much of what's happening right now is undercutting the recovery when it happens longer people are jobless, the more jobless, the more businesses close down, the less there is to recover. So um, you guys do your thing. I'm going to do my thing, which is to tell you 900,000 people. It is an absolute calamity. And then they're going to lose their benefits. So go ahead and trade stocks. I'm just telling you what the data say.
2: We all love you as much as you love us. But I'm going to let these guys in. They're chomping at the bit. Dan, go ahead.
1: But listen,
6: Steve. When we watch you all day long, and you do a great job reporting on this stuff, you obviously don't watch our A Block every night because there's at least two or three of us kind of <laughs> echoing exact sentiment that you're saying. We understand I know. there is a massive disconnect. I know, Dan. I know I, but I, 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 I mean, I, I,
1: I know. I, I just want to be clear I'm, on that. That's my frustration, take, Dan. Well, I, 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 I come every you night you too, or to Tim. I, I love you guys. I love you guys. I'm sorry. You're just like that. You're the proxy for me no, but right now. Just, is, I, I, you know, I just
6: want to be. Hey, Steve. Listen, I just want to be really clear. There's other shows that do that. Not this show. OK, we take this stuff very seriously. It, and so when we sure. have economic sure. data like we had this morning. It's not just by stocks. Okay? I, just right. to get that he, I
2: think it. he was using us as a group, the trader mentality sort of thing and why the yeah, stock I markets think- at record highs. But here, Steve, is where we meet in the middle because we do, as friends, like to find common ground. And that is, we are starting to see this deteriorating dat- data show up in what companies are beginning to say. Just yesterday, we talked about Starbucks saying that in the United yeah. States, December is starting to soften. Yeah. Southwest Airlines seeing cancellations up, bookings softening. So I guess the question is, Steve, um, you know, as we enter this sort of downtick once again in the economic data, and I'm lumping together the retail sales number as well as we go into the, the final stretch sure. um, of the year. Are we talking about an economy that will never see the depths that we saw in the beginning of the pandemic because we've got optimism, a, a vaccine is, is out there being injected into the arms of healthcare workers as we speak? Um, or are we talking about an economy that is, has that is endured lasting damage because this is the second downturn, not just the first?
1: You know, I think there's going to be both. Um, I think there's going to be some lasting damage, and it's the scarring that's the issue here. That really is the one that concerns me. Um, and look, part of this is a frustration on my part. I mean, we, the, the economic data in the 17 years I've been doing this for CNBC has been absolutely critical to the trade. I have never, ever seen the market relegate the present data so quickly to the past as it does right now. And I I think, you know, with what you're saying, Melissa, it is interesting that now it's starting to show what companies say, but I think it's telling us a bit about the inequality in the economy, which is critical, which is that the people who are being hurt most are not having an effect or a huge effect anyway on existing corporate earnings or the outlook for corporate earnings. I think that's a big part of how this economy and how stocks and Wall Street and Main Street are different here. I think that's critical. And and uh, I just want to reiterate, guys, you're, you're my favorites. I just come on with this data, and the stock market goes up to full-time. And, and I'm, I'm not saying that's this, wrong. Steve. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying this is what the data are.
2: By the way, we won't tell any other shows that we're the favorite, not not them. <laughs> uh, Karen, you want to get in?
5: Yeah. <laughs> I do. So, Steve, let me ask you. I, I, I hear what you're saying, and I know that you know if you're unemployed, you don't care what the P.E. multiple on the market is. I totally get that. But – In all your time looking at data, have you ever been in a period where the data from eight months ago and eight months forward and where we are right now in the middle will have moved so dramatically as it has now? That seems highly unlikely.
1: I think that's a fair and great question. But what I would counter that with is we have completely changed the way we look at the economy during this crisis. And by the way, we're not going back which is we do follow the high-frequency data. I didn't have a report for you today on the high-frequency data, but uh, the credit card data, uh, the J.P. Morgan credit card data, I just looked at it. It's down about 5% this holiday season compared to uh, uh, last year. Uh, so, So that's a piece of it. We are able to gauge the economy pretty well in real time right now, and it's not great. But look. The idea, you know, I think the market was up during a lot of the Great Depression. The idea that you guys are trading on the future, I get I get that, but it doesn't change what's happening right now, which is the real calamity that's going on for many Americans right now in the economy.
2: Steve, it's always great to have you. Thank you.
1: My pleasure. I hope you have me back.
2: Of course. Steve Leesman. Um, guy, <laughs> me, I don't know if we're trading on the, we just, you know, general we are trading on the future as much as we are trading on, the notion that we know that Fed liquidity will be there and be there for an indefinite period of time.
3: Yeah, listen, first of all, Steve Leisman takes some of the most arcane material and makes it accessible to a broad swath of the population. That's not easy to do. Steve is brilliant, and I admire all the work he does. I mean that. And I understand what he was saying, and, and I totally get that. But let me say this as well, because he alluded to it. For more than 10% of the population, um, there's a depression going on, flat out, I'll use the word, without question. This is 19, late 1920s, early 1930s stuff for a lot of people out there. And they look at the stock market, and they're saying exactly what Steve said. How is this possible, given what we're going through? But the answer is the same conversation we had last night. It's the fact that Jerome Powell comes out and says, valuations don't matter in this type of uh, basically zero interest rate environment. And the market says, you know what, if that's what you think, party on. So to a large extent, uh, the Fed that he covers so well, in my opinion, that's what makes markets, is the root of this problem in the first place.
2: All right, coming up, a payment stocks payday. Bitcoin's record rally is fueling big gains in some of the payment stocks. How you can cash in. But first, check out shares of Tesla soaring again before what's set to be a big day for the stock. We'll have all the details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money Shares. A Tesla topping the tape up today uh, by more than 5%. S&P Global upping its credit rating to double B from double B minus. This comes as the company gets ready to cruise into the S&P 500 starting on Monday. Karen, specifically, they mentioned the severe reduction in debt because of all the secondaries they've done this year. And you presciently uh, forecasted that uh, they would do another one right after uh, they announced that they would be included in the S&P 500.
5: Yes, it makes total sense, right? They should. I mean, you know, so it's interesting, $5 billion at one time for them was a ton of money. It's still a ton of money, but they absolutely should do it. Good for them for doing it. We don't know exactly how they're going to do it. It's sort of at the market. It's not a mm-hmm. one slug, but it uh, makes total sense. And then clean up the balance sheet for good. The debt will get cheaper in the future. It's the right move. Yeah. By the way,
2: S&P Global also says it has a positive outlook on this rating because they expect uh, the continued performance of Tesla in terms of free cash flow uh, and the ability to uh, fund their expansion around the world. Guy Adami, does this change? The Tesla story has changed dramatically in the span of a very short amount of time.
3: Does this does this peg change it? No, I'm sure they're lovely people at S P Global, but you know they're <laughs> probably about uh, nine months behind the curve on this one, Frank. And it's true. I mean, but yeah, listen, that's again, that's all good. I mean, that's fine. In terms of levels, if you're looking for one, and you know, I sort of know what we've been saying since the spring. And again, I have to emphasize, I don't get the story at all. But what I have gotten is um, what's going on in the stock. And if you remember back in May, pre-split at 703-ish, Elon Musk said how expensive the stock was, and the stock basically sold off for 24 hours. So. Now we're post-split, and guess where it's going? Probably right back to 7.03, and that's as good a level as any to take some money off the table.
2: To be fair to the lovely folks at (laughs) S&P Global, they cite specifically the capital raises throughout the year. So nine months ago, there were a couple of capital raises short, and so their net debt might not be zero as it is, they say, right now. Tim, just quickly, um, there were a lot of shorts in the name. There are not. This is very difficult. It's very difficult, but it's also very difficult to be long at this point. I would imagine.
4: Yeah. The, well, look, I, I think the short interest is, is, is down to 8 percent or something yeah. extraordinary when you consider where it was. And, and the stock reflects that. Um, S&P Global pointed out 19 billion of cash and cash equivalents by the end of the year. And, and, and you know, the one thing that I heard in that report that, I mean, I still don't think this is an efficient company uh, in terms of their profitability. They're, they're not that profitable. Um, but you can't argue with $590 billion of market cap, can you? And, and I'm certainly not going to. Um, and a 1200 P.E. Yeah, so.
2: amazing. Uh, coming up, Nike hitting an all-time high ahead of tomorrow's night's, tomorrow night's earnings report. Should you just buy it here? We'll dive into the options pits for that trade. But first, Dan is gearing up for a fast pit. He says you should drive right into this name. He'll make the case for that name when we come right back. Welcome back. Buckle up, Fast Money fans. Dan is entering the fast lane with a fast pitch. He says this car company is about to kick into overdrive. Dan, take it away.
6: Yeah, let's talk about AutoNation, ticker AN here. You know, this one caught my eye on numerous occasions over the course of the year, largely because we've seen a massive shift in just the dynamics about auto sales, Um, over the last year. And the narrative has changed a whole heck of a lot. Just think back to a year ago where you had everybody and their mother telling you that owning a car was a bad economic decision. It was a bad environmental decision. It gets used 2% of the time. It's sitting in your garage the whole time. Well, we have a pandemic here. And what happened? We saw a massive shift towards car ownership, specifically used car ownership, because we had a lot of issues with rideshare and we had a lot of issues with public transportation. That has changed. And it might Changed the narrative um, for good. The other reason I want to look at AutoNation here is for a company called Carvana. It's got a forty-four billion-dollar market cap. Um, you know, AutoNation is the largest new and used car dealer in the country. These guys come onto the scene. IPO'd a few years ago. It's up, I don't know, two hundred percent on the year or so. AutoNation has probably what? Four times the sales, it trades at a massive discount on a multiple to sales. It's got a $6 billion market cap versus Carvana's 44. Take any valuation metric you want and it doesn't add up. AutoNation has maybe 40 or 50% of their sales going online. I think this stock gets re-rated in the new year if these um, conditions stay afloat here in the market. And lastly, I just want to look at the charts of this thing. Look at the one year it has held that uptrend from the March lows in AutoNation like a boss. It's up about 200%, up 36% on the year. It's been consolidating here just below those prior all-time highs made about a month or so ago. I think it's setting up for a move higher. And lastly, let's just look at that five-year chart you see where it is right now it's back near that 2015 high here i think it's setting up for a massive breakout in 2021 so i like the secular shifts i like the way they're positioned the sentiment believe it or not is still really bad um, in auto nation i like the valuation and i like the technical setup
3: here so auto nation in 2021 Dan, huge, huge fan of your work. And, you know, watching Fast Money all these years, I know that Brian Kelly would say a number of times that Auto Nation was sort of his barometer for how things going. My question is, yeah. really lack of earnings growth is the only thing I can knock these guys and gals down on. Does that concern you? Well, it doesn't. I mean, this year, while sales
6: are going to decline a little bit, they had to shut down a lot of their stores. They're actually going to hit their peak earnings right now. So the business model is changing as they move more and more sales offline. They're probably going to be able to go into some other regions with this online model, and their costs are going to go down associated with um, a lot of those stores. So to me, the earnings growth is probably set to reaccelerate um, as they kind of make some of these shifts and more of their sales go online.
2: All right. No more questions. Time to vote. Are you buying Dan's pitch on Auto Nation, Karen, what do you say?
5: Yeah. I, first of all, I love when Dan is bullish because he's, he's often right when he's bullish. He's so bullish rare. on Apple. He turned bullish on the banks. I like this one. So uh, I'm bullish because Dan is, but I also like the story. And I think the valuation <laughs> is cheap. So I do think that they could absolutely get a re-rating. Uh, Thanks,
2: Karen, by the, Karen by, by the way, drew like a little, I don't know what that was, like a Chevy or something. And you oh, and Karen car. are
5: in the car. I'm in the car with Dan. It's
2: I'm riding sweet. with Dan. It's very sweet. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, Tim Seymour, what do you say about A.N.? <laughs> Thank you.
4: So um, I, I've got a picture of Dan driving in his car right now with no hands. And I'm a buyer. So just to be clear, um, uh, I thought Karen was going to say when it, you know, she gets bullish, when Dan gets bullish because it's so rare. Um, but I, I think it, the Auto nation. both he, he pointed out the secular trends, he pointed out the valuation trends. Uh, they're going to open 100 stores. They're going to they get $500 million of buyback ready to, to also improve uh, the EPS. So uh, I like what's going on here.
2: Guy.
3: Can you imagine the bickering that would go on if Dan and, and Karen were... I mean, I you know, you'd love to be a fly on that wall. Maybe we can get one of those GoPros and film it. But I know, Mel, would you read my smartboard for me when you do that, oh, please?
2: Oh, Dan knows a lot. Regis. Dan
3: does Dan know a lot. a lot. Regis. And you know what? He's right on this one as well. We've been on this Carvana story for a while. But he's right in terms of the re-rating. I just brought up earnings growth just to hear his answer, and his answer was spot on. So I'm with Dan.
2: Clean sweep. All buys here. Now it's your turn to chime in. Are you buying Dan's pitch on AutoNation? You can vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC. Fast Money will bring you the results later on in the show. Up next, Bitcoin goes bananas. The cryptocurrency soaring to new record highs. Why, that's really good news for some of the payment stocks. We'll bring you the trade when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a Bitcoin alert. The cryptocurrency is soaring 8% to another all-time high. The record run comes as a major player in the space. Coinbase files plans today to go public. In Bitcoin, uh, the boom is creating a big payday for the payment stocks. Check out PayPal and Square. Both stocks have been on a tear as Bitcoin breaks out to new highs. Our next guest says there are even bigger gains ahead. Let's bring in Dan Dolov. He covers the payment stocks at Mizuho. Dan, great to speak with you.
8: Thanks, Melissa. It was a pleasure being on your show.
2: Help us to understand how we should regard Bitcoin as a part of these stocks, businesses, specifically PayPal and Square. I would imagine it's a small percentage of revenues. It's it's quickly growing. And yet the big percentage of the gains in the stock have been driven by this Bitcoin rally.
8: Exactly. So we've actually done a lot of survey work. And what we've done on PayPal specifically is, is we've surveyed almost 400 users of uh, PayPal. And what we found out is that almost... 20% of the users have started trading Bitcoin. And we think of Bitcoin not as the Bitcoin revenue itself, but actually as the vehicle to boost engagement on the app. So we actually think about engagement as a driver of revenue growth, not as an output of revenue. And what you're seeing is that 50% of the people that, that uh, you know use Bitcoin have actually reported an increase in engagement. So what that does, that means that those people are actually going to use more and more products and services that PayPal is offering. It's going to make PayPal more the center of their financial life. Same thing for Square, by the way. So Bitcoin by itself is a way to boost engagement, and that what came—that's what came out of our survey.
5: Dan, it's Karen. Uh, thanks for coming on our show. I think you know my sister from the payment space. Um, so. How big do you think this could ultimately be? I mean, I feel like we're at the beginning, a very frothy beginning, maybe. But how big do you think this could be to PayPals and squares of the world?
8: I think this is the inflection point, And I think in 20, it's a great question. I think in 2021, we're going to hit that inflection point where basically those apps are going to become the center of people's financial lives. And the reason for that, the trigger, the impetus is Bitcoin. And that's just creates a massive flocking of people to those apps, and then they do more and more things with those apps. So I think this is a huge game changer for those apps. I totally understand why the stocks have reacted very positively. But, you know, we think they're all headed towards those, you know, 300 marks. So um, I think this is just the beginning of this big Bitcoin trade for both of them.
4: Hey, Dan, it's Tim. So, but without the Bitcoin uh, dynamic and making these, those those platforms, uh, that which people kind of use and, and manage a lot of their financial dynamics, would Square be a buy? And, and I'm not sure if this is in your core coverage, um, but, but outside of this dynamic, um, you know, the cash app, Sticky, we, you know, look, I've owned the company for a long time. I don't own it now. Uh, I'm at a 10 percent of position as I once had. Uh, and I'm kicking myself. But the rest of this is hard for me to fathom.
8: So I think Square is a buy. You know, we don't know what it would be without Bitcoin because Bitcoin, remember, Square was the thought leader behind Bitcoin and, you know, they've invested 50 million in Bitcoin now, but they've been offering Bitcoin for a long time. I still think it's a massive buy despite that. And you've seen Square do well, even at times when Bitcoin wasn't growing. So there were days, you know, we peaked in 2017 and then there was a time where Bitcoin wasn't doing well, but Square still did really well. And the Cash App was getting about 2 million downloads um, a month, which is a huge number and the engagement on the Cash App has been very, very big. So I think Bitcoin is more of a kind of icing on top of the cake for Square. The ability for Square, for the Cash App to become sort of your, basically the ultimate neobank, is irrespective of Bitcoin, in my view.
2: Dan, great to get your thoughts, thank you.
8: Always a pleasure, thank you.
2: Dan Dolov of Mizuho. Um, Dan Nathan, can you give us a quick trade?
6: Yeah, listen, it's a tough one here. You know, you have PayPal with a higher market cap than Bank America. You have Square with a higher market cap than Goldman Sachs. These guys do a couple things really well. They have apps that the bank consortiums also are competing with, with the Zelle thing. So, you know, if Bitcoin is the game changer here, I'm not sure that's why you buy them here. They're great companies with great products who've really innovated in ways that the traditional banks that I just mentioned before have been unable to do. But there, got, there has to be some sort of mean reversion here because I just don't think this spread can last between those two names and some of the more traditional financial services
9: companies.
2: All right, we've got some uh, news on Microsoft we want to get to. Uh, Eric Chang has got the story. Eric.
9: Melissa, that's right. Reuters is reporting that Microsoft was breached in that same suspected Russian hack that took advantage of SolarWinds software. The Reuters report saying that Microsoft products were used to infect others. That's coming from multiple sources familiar. Again, this is Reuters reporting. We're just finding out about it. Uh, the FBI and other agencies have scheduled a classified briefing for members of Congress tomorrow. So we may get more information in tomorrow's trading day. Melissa, back to you.
2: Uh, Eric, thank you. Eric Chemi, uh, this is shocking news in that uh, Solar Winds, the reason why it was so shocking in terms of that incident is that SolarWinds is used by 400 or the 500, Fortune 500 companies. Microsoft obviously can be found on most desktops across corporate America. Guy Dami, we've been trading past this big hack for a long time. There's also news out that the, the Department of Energy was also breached, specifically um, where they keep the nuclear secrets. Uh, so at what point does this sort of I don't know. Wake up, Wall Street!
3: Should it should have it should have been a wake-up call when we first started talking about this? I know Karen was concerned, rightly so. By the way, market doesn't care, and that goes back to the conversation we had earlier in the show with Steve Leisman. I'll point out this though. With every um, first of all, if Microsoft sells off on the back of this, you buy it. I think number one, number two, with every announcement, I think that's more and more reason to uh, sort of vindicate. It's probably the wrong word, but to, to vindicate FireEye and to say you know what it's everybody was in the same pool and Palo Alto Networks P A N W, and W continues to make all-time highs so I think you stay with that and I think the sell-off and fire eyes overdone I think you buy that one
2: Karen what are your thoughts on this uh being the actual black swan that you thought it could be now that we're seeing that it is g- growing in terms of the damage
5: uh it is it's it is really concerning it's sort of like I was saying before the Vix here I'd buy way out of the money protection because you get a giant bang for your buck. sadly, if something happens. And hopefully the case is, oh, it's nothing. It doesn't end up being a big deal and you haven't paid that much money for protection. But I want to own that protection.
2: Coming up, Wall Street is going all in on MAGA stocks. So we have some new trades for the new year. Karen and Dan are unwrapping their awesome acronyms for 2021+. Plus. There's still time to vote in our Twitter poll. Are you buying Dan's fast pitch on Auto, Na- Auto Nation? All the traders said bye. Head on over to at CBC Fast Money and you can cast your vote. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Wall Street giving the MAGA trade some serious love Four banks, making these four stocks their top picks. But our traders each have a new trade for the new year. We started rolling them out this week to recap. Guy likes the Hope trade. That would be Home Depot, Oracle, Palantir and Expedia. Tim has Rise, Rio Tinto, the IWM small cap ETF, Schlumberger and emerging markets. And now it is time to hear from Karen and Dan. So Dan, why don't you go first?
6: Yeah, so mine is abide. The dude obviously abides here. I'm going to start with A, B, and that is Amazon and Alibaba. You know the stories there. They're just these e-commerce behemoths. The I, really important, Chamath Palihapitiya has rolled out IPO A through Z. He's already done the first three. I think in 2021 he's going to take public through SPACs, a lot of really interesting companies. There's the I. Um, and then Disney and Expedia. These are second half reopening trades. I think they work really well, so abide.
2: You didn't like Ingersoll Rand or, no, just kidding. <laughs> Karen, what's, what's your acronym?
5: My, it's not really an acronym. Mine is, a, it's WTF. I don't know any other way to just like think about this year, but so that's what I came up with. And so the W is Walmart and it's the evolution of Walmart. Um, you know, with Walmart Plus with their, I mean, just think about this, Walmart trying to buy part of TikTok. I mean, that's just insane, the, the evolution of Walmart. And uh, the stock's not expensive. And I think that the uh, customers they got during the pandemic will be pretty sticky customers. So uh, for all those reasons, I like it. TJX is very much a reopen stock. They don't really have much of an online business, although some of their home goods uh, did well um, because of, you know, the, the sort of nesting that went on. But I think when the economy reopens, they're going to have so much inventory. So uh, I like TJX really for the other side when we get there. And then the last one, the F, is FedEx. And, um, you know, great numbers, but I guess it wasn't quite enough. I think that's overdone to the downside here. I want to listen to the call, but I'd be a buyer. Just that's quick. That's my, yeah. it's not an
2: acronym. Just quickly, uh, Tim, would you rather Dan's Abide or Karen's WTF?
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, great stuff there, although Karen does get demerits here for, for not spelling a word. We did this a couple <laughs> nights ago. I had to penalize people then. Um, but but I, I, I like her style, and although this is a family show, I'm going to go with WTF, and I almost said it out loud. Um, I'm long Walmart. Uh, I do believe in that story. I'm long FedEx. I do believe in that story. Uh, And I think that's enough. These are two companies, two massive companies that are very important and part of that cyclicality for 2021.
2: All right. Coming up, we are counting down to a rare Friday night after the Bell earnings report. This one from Nike. What option traders are betting might be in store much more fast right after this? Welcome back to Fast Money. Nike hitting a new all-time high today as it gears up for some Friday night lights. That's right. The company's reporting earnings after the bell tomorrow. Let's bring in Mike Coe. What's the setup in the options market, Mike?
9: Yeah, so we did see uh, more than two times the average daily options volume today. Right now, the options market is implying a move of about $5.60 or so by the end of tomorrow's trading. That's about 4% of the stock price and between 7 dollars and $8 a share higher or lower by the end of next week's abbreviated trading session due to the holiday, about 5.4% or so of the current stock price. That's less in both cases than the 5.6% that the stock has typically moved over the course of the last eight reported quarters. The most active options that were expiring this week were the 145 strike calls. Uh, Those were trading for about $1.12. So buyers of those are obviously betting that the stock could rally about 4% going into that earnings. And then, of course, the next most active options were the 140 and 145 strike calls that expire in January. But overall, it does appear that options traders continue to be bullish, despite the fact that we're trading at all-time highs.
2: All right. Thanks for that, Mike. Um, Guy Dami, good DTC business, good presence in China. It's got all the ingredients.
3: It does. And if you recall, the other day, we played our brand new game, Wrap It or Scrap It. Genius job, by the way. Congratulations to Maurice. And I wrapped that sucker. But Pete scrapped it. And that gives me pause because typically Pete is spot on on these things. I happen to still think it goes higher. And the uh, the options that Mike just talked about suggest that. But valuations are stretched. I do think it trades higher from here, though, Mel. All
2: right. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. It is the final options action of the year. And what a show it will be. 5 30 p.m. Eastern Time tomorrow. Uh, still time to cast your vote on Dan's fast pitch. We'll bring you the results and the final trade next. Time to find out if the viewers are buying Dan's fast pitch on Auto Nation. Dan, put your seatbelt on, step on the gas. You are a winner. More than 52% of voters are buying Auto Nation. no way we're not playing time of your life, but you're having your time of your life. Uh, time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour.
4: I'm having the time of my life here. And and FedEx, to me, despite a, a market trade down after the bell, um, I think they're having the time of their life with ground and B2B coming. FedEx.
2: Dan. Yeah,
4: a
6: couple things. Reiterate the auto nation. I love Steve Leesman. I love having him on the show. Please come back. And lastly, Guy Adami, happy birthday tomorrow. You are the stranger to my dude, so abide, Aww. brother.
5: Karen. Nice. Dan, nice pitch. Uh, mine mine is the W from WTF. Walmart, haven't talked about it in a while. I really like it. In an up market or a down, I think it's a great risk-reward. Guy.
3: Mine is Geritol for obvious reasons and MasterCard <laughs> for non-obvious reasons, Mel.
2: Happy birthday in advance. Thanks for watching Fast Money. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.
9: This podcast is supported by FedEx.